Hi, James. Ben, how are you? <laughs> sheepish. Uh, sheepish. Why are you sheepish, Ben? Uh, we are recording uh, a couple hours late. It's very late. Um, and because I had very serious matters to attend to. Which serious matters were those, Ben? <laughs> well, I, I happened to be in New York for 24 hours, and I went to dinner with a friend. And as I was walking back, I was, I was walking down 48th Street, and I didn't realize there was a Nintendo store there. And there was a very long line outside the Nintendo store because apparently the Nintendo Mini went on sale at midnight. So naturally, I was like, well, that'd be interesting. I stepped in line. Um, <laughs> uh, anyhow, we are now recording two hours late. <laughs> and I have a Nintendo Mini. Uh, you're, you're preparing to keep yourself occupied in the virtual world for the next four years, huh? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, um, it was probably an unfortunate decision. But hey... Uh, I can play 30 classic Nintendo games on, on my TV. There's no arguing with that. I, I'm a little hungry right now, so if I get a little cranky for whatever, like I'm blaming it on the hunger. Oh, man. I can't believe you didn't even eat. Oh, man. Now I feel even guiltier. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Like, priorities. Like, you did the right thing. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are. Uh, this episode of Exponent is sponsored by MailChimp. MailChimp does some really cool integrations from WordPress to Facebook, Shopify to Magento. MailChimp integrates with the apps and web services that you use every day. You can connect your MailChimp account with hundreds of powerful web services. When you sync the applications you use to your business and break down data silos between platforms, your workflow becomes more efficient, and that extra time lets you focus on increasing engagement and revenue. So our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring as a, sponsoring Exponent. As I noted, I use the Monster Techery, and I use their integrations, so I, I can definitely attest that it works as advertised yeah absolutely thank you so much guys we really appreciate it anyhow uh slow news week very i mean i i like i don't know what we're going to talk about so there was a presidential election in the united states this week oh and donald trump is the president-elect you know um it kind of didn't dawn on me until I logged on the day after and looked at Twitter and I was like, you know, I wonder what, what real Donald Trump says on its Twitter account right now. And it said president-elect of the United States. And I was like, wow, this, this is really happening. <laughs> it is. Um, so we, uh, there's certainly kind of, you know, very straightforward tech angles. I mean, the he's made threatening sounds about Amazon uh, in response to, you know, the, the Jeff Bezos open, you know, owning the Washington post uh, mm. talked about Apple uh, mm -hmm. built, you know, manufacturing phones abroad, but <laughs> un unsurprisingly, uh, especially given the stuff that we've talked about after, after Brexit, but I think as a regular theme on this mm. podcast, there are certainly deeper implications, I think for, for technology and, and for the tech industry and for figuring out what has happened and what's going to happen going forward. I remember talking about this, uh, th this kind of stuff after Brexit in particular. And one of the elements of the conversation that really stuck in my head with it was the parallel with the industrial revolution. And I, I think, I still think that's an extremely instructive lens through which to view a lot of this, that, that, there is no doubt that over the long run, the what what the forces that were unleashed from the industrial revolution greatly greatly benefited humanity. But the process of getting there was extremely bumpy, and 
I think that a lot of folks in the tech industry haven't necessarily it hasn't that hasn't internalized until right now right now i think they're beginning to realize that it's not just a linear you know we're just going to make the world a better place and yeah we're going to we're going to uh burn a few things down along the way but we'll get there and i think this might represent like the the marking point for like the realization that actually you get from point a to point b and it's not a straight linear line there are a few detours along the way yeah i mean you you could step back and say you know what are the underlying causes of what has happened and and mm-hmm. ju- i mean just a heads up this is obviously going to delve into politics mm-hmm. and it's so if you want to stop listening that that's fine but truthfully and this is a point i think i've maintained from the beginning of shirtechery you can't write seriously about technology i mean if technology is going to impact and influence every part of society you have to talk about politics. You you just have to. And I think we've done so. We're not, you know, I think we're, we probably have specific preferences, but we're certainly not trying to be partisan here. Just mm. there are very re- real issues to be grappled with. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely think that's the case. I also think that it is, it is a very big mistake in any domain of life or study or enterprise, whatever that might be, to think that you can just neatly silo yourself inside that one domain because so much happens at the intersection and as technology's impact becomes greater on society, I think being versed in things like politics and having a point of view and understanding how these 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 massive forces are going to influence that like we just saw two days ago it, it how important it really is to just to, to to keep a broader mind than just thinking inside strictly your own domain because you can't just stay there yeah and we'll, we'll i think that's an interesting point to kind of delve into because there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of days about the facebook you know facebook effect and people in their being in their own filter bubbles and i get the sense that a lot of the angst in the you know in frankly the sort of coastal elite circles that we travel in Mm. is blaming uh you know blaming facebook for trump supporters reading false news or something Mm. along those lines and no question there's that sort of stuff going on there's been all kinds of interesting stories over the last few months about how fake news spreads and rumors and and all those sorts of things but (laughs) <laughs> there's a bit of uh there's a bit of pot calling the kettle black here. And what I mean is if this happened and you're sitting there and you cannot even fathom how on earth this happened, then you are probably in a bubble too. And the the temptation to surround yourself with inputs that you agree with and you understand and to view everything from your own personal background that's not unique to brexit supporters or trump or trump voters that's unique to the human condition (laughs) and from what i can see it has been very prevalent and every single one of us myself included but i think everyone listening to this podcast and everyone who cannot fathom this uh, is is guilty of the exact same thing they're railing about 
I think that is entirely fair. I think what might have changed has been the ease of which it's possible now to slip into that mode. I think historically with limited news sources and, you know, you're, you're in your town and you can watch the television and there are the five channels or maybe even before that when there were the, just the two newspapers, the ability for you to slip into a mode, not even of the fake news. I mean, the fake news is, is pretty disgusting, but I, I think the broader problem is the slipping into the just seeing things that you agree with. And I, I, I think guilty is charged. I mean, it, on one hand, it didn't surprise me because the the forces that were that were unleashed are very similar to the Brexit ones, and that was completely unexpected. So to see this happen didn't surprise me. But on the other hand, I, I'd log on to Facebook or I would log on to Twitter or I would look at Nuzzle and even in Friends of Friends, like the the very possibility that this might emerge, like based on the feed that I had, is absolutely un, unfathomable. And I think it is easier to now to slip into those uh, into those little bubbles than ever before, and has, much more so than historically. And I think that's part of the reason why this has been such a vitriolic campaign, because and not just among the candidates, among the supporters as well. Yeah, and you're seeing kind of, and I guess the, so. One thing that's that's this is I'm going to ask right up front that people listening bear with me here and give me the benefit of the doubt for what I'm going to what, what I'm going to go into right now. And that is that there's no question in my estimation, and I I think it's pretty straightforward, that racism and sexism played significant roles in in this election. So let's put that on the table. I'm not denying that. What I am pushing back on a little bit is the response by many that that was the only reason. And that... You see, you see statements like, you know, I cannot believe I live in a country where people choose racism and choose sexism. And are there some people where that is their guiding principle? Unfortunately, yes. Are there a lot of other people who that's not their top priority? Yes, but you always, you always saw this, you always saw this phrasing around Clinton and saying like, you know. This election is between I, you saw I saw this a million times a conventional but flawed candidate. I think that was kind of like the phrase to, to, to describe Clinton mm-hmm. versus a you know someone who's wholly unqualified and unfit to be to be mm-hmm. president. And and I have I mean I have I I have stuff at stake here. I live in Taiwan. It's it's a it's a flashpoint for potential upheaval. And you know certainly I think China is there's a tremendous opportunity here for them to be totally frank. And so I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm coming at this. I'm not, I'm not saying there, there's not stuff at stake. Believe me, I get that on a personal level and I get that on an intellectual level, but what, what, what just coming from knowing where I came from and where I grew up and, and seeing the people there, I think you could turn that phrasing around from their perspective where Trump was a flawed but outsider candidate mm. who is not captured by the system that mm-hmm. that they feel is grossly unfair and stacked against them. And Clinton is unacceptable because she's part and parcel of that. And again, I'm not saying that's right at all. I'm just saying that 
it, there's there's just a temptation when you're describing these things to hold up a mirror and you can say I would never vote for Trump because of his racist rhetoric and his sexist behavior and and, and rhetoric and the whole mm. thing right I right. would not do that and so the if you don't have a degree of empathy for understanding what's going on, on the other side your what's your description of the other side oh I voted against Trump because I am against racism and sexism. You voted for Trump, therefore you are racist and sexist. Right. And you can, and same thing for a Trump supporter. Like I voted against the corrupt system that's that doesn't care about us, that bailed out Wall Street and didn't bail out, you know, the ten Main people Street. in my block who, yeah. who whose houses were underwater. And that's why I, I I voted for him and you voted against him, which means you're one of them. You're one of the people who's screwing me and screw you. I I absolutely agree with that characterization. I think there will always be a percentage of the country that will vote on the basis of those elements, whether it's racism or sexism. But I think that for the most part, of, I, I don't think these are guiding principles for people on the basis on which they vote. Like these, there are not people out there as, uh, that, that are saying, you know what? I want to go back to an, uh, the 1940s because I'm a sexist or something like that. I think it's, it's, it, there's a degree of, it's the economics first. And I think that's what's being missed. Like when everybody's doing well, it's much easier for the people to be much more inclusive and open minded about things. But when things are tough, uh, it, it, you look for scapegoats. Yeah, you look for scapegoats, and it's 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 easier to deprioritize things that on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, putting food on the table and feeling like you're being treated fairly from an economic perspective is actually more fundamental than making sure you have a more inclusive society. Like if if you. If you can't feed your kids, if you're worried about losing your house, then then the feeling like there is this priority being put on a more inclusive society to the point where you feel like you're being lectured about how these folks who are coming from overseas who haven't been paying taxes, who haven't invested in this community, like it's very easy to dismiss that. And it's like, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in me because I can't, like, I can't even look after the basics. And while I can't even look after to the basics i feel like i'm being lectured about f- folks who've come here and who who like want to join this country but they are taking 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 and and you're telling me how i should behave no like that's not that's that's not okay like i feel like that's where it's coming from it's not coming from a place of like uh, coming from a place where the starting point is racism or sexism and to think that is to completely miss the point well i mean it's but it's a little more complicated than that because you know, you're well. Trump did increase his support the most among low-income people. Mm. Uh, his support was concentrated on people who are, by and large, doing okay from an income perspective. But I, I saw that chart. I, I think that 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 data is absolutely correct and absolutely misleading all at the same time because people don't vote on absolutes. They vote on relatives. They vote on how they feel the direction 
like whether there's hope for improvement, how I'm doing relative to what I see other people on TV, how I feel like my community's doing relative to five, 10 years ago. And I think, yeah, those people in absolute terms may not be in the bottom income bracket, but they don't feel like things are progressing. In fact, they feel like they're going backwards and they hear lots about how uh, other candidates are champions for these very low income owners or the very oppressed, but they're like, well, what about me? Like I've put in my share and I don't feel like things are getting better. In fact, I feel like they're getting worse. Like I, I like th- that, that this isn't working for me. Yeah. And that, and I think that that's a, that that's spot on. And the, the way I would kind of characterize it is, you know, to use a, to use a technology, you don't sell a product based on its feature list, right? Right. You, you sell a product based on the experience and how, and how it makes you feel mm. and, and, Things like brand and and all those sorts of things go go into it, and I, I yeah certainly that's that's the case with, with an election. And again, just to be super clear, I mean we're we're not dismissing by any means, you know the the these elements, and we're not excusing the behavior of of candidate Trump and now president president elect Trump. And to be frank, you know. What is absolutely the case, it, by, by virtue of not caring about that stuff or having it lower on your priority order, like you are giving, you know, these voters are giving their implementer to this sort of behavior like that, 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 that is the case. And so to attempt to understand is to not I- excuse that by any means. And I would add, you know, the reason why, you know, we talk about like the Great Recession, like minority communities like the African-American community or the, the Latino community generally struggled, was hurt much more by the Great Recession than mm. than the white working class but you when you think about the priority order it was i think much clearer to minority communities what they had to lose under the the proposals of a of a president trump and the rhetoric of of of, of a president trump and so th- and the privilege the privilege of being a white person is that you can vent you can rebel you can decide to throw a bomb into the entire system because why not because you 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 don't feel like you have anything to lose and crucially compared to minorities you don't and th- that's i think another of the sort of disconnects why it is not just necessarily people who are struggling and not and and broadly it's this very specific class that Again, like where this really happened was the upper Midwest, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. Ohio. Like those are the states that flipped. Those are the states. It's it's where I grew up. And and what and you know, people. This is the thing: is that people are mad. they're they're mad. They're really really mad. Like it, it's kind of jarring. And it's really this. It's un like the system is rigged. Like to use Trump's words, that people really believe the system is rigged. They don't trust it. They don't trust the media. They don't trust what anyone says. And yeah, they just want to just want to blow the whole thing up. Yeah, uh, I I have some sympathy for that point of view. Like you you go back to where all this started from an economic point of view in two thousand and eight in the Great Recession, and those are the folks who did nothing wrong but ended up bearing the burden of a lot of the mistakes that were made by and willfully made by people on Wall Street who to be fair, made off like bandits. Now, I don't want to throw the the baby out with the bathwater. Like having a properly functioning financial system is a critical part of any society. But at the same time, uh, you you can't you can't 
walk into a casino and put it all down on black or red and regardless of whether it comes up black or red make out and it's just everybody else that ends up getting screwed and this this actually reminds me a little bit of the conversation we had immediately after brexit with the the game in economics the ultimatum game which is you have two players and the the first player gets to uh the first player gets to divide an arbitrary amount of money, whatever it is, let's say it's $10, and they propose a split. And if the second player agrees to the split, then both players get to keep what the proposed split was. But if the second player rejects it, uh, then nobody gets anything. Now, you would think that the second player would take anything that they're given, but it turns out that the way this actually unfolds is that uh, if it's if the second player feels like they're being screwed, they end up choosing the nuclear option, which is nobody gets anything. And I feel very much that this is a good way of explaining what's happening because the, the, the gains that have happened from globalization are huge. They're massive. Like if it was managed properly, everybody in the United States should be feeling like they're further in front of where they were 10 years ago. But that's not the case. And I feel like it's got to the point now where, yeah, there are people in the Midwest who are like, screw it. Like uh, there are all these people on the coastal cities, the, the coast of the United States who are doing fantastically well. And I've been working really hard all my life. And I can't even provide for my family, or maybe I feel like my community's backwards and I don't have a champion uh, in the political system. Like there are people who are worried about the very top. And sure, there are a few people who are well-meaning that are worried about the very bottom. But what about me? And it's like, well, screw this. Like, I don't care if this guy is crazy. I don't care if he's not qualified. I think he's going to mix things up. And I don't want to keep supporting a floor candidate who is a, a conventional candidate like like she might be flawed and conventional i don't want more flawed and conventional i want things to change and i don't care what the cost is yeah and i think if you if you remember back i mean i mean obama carried all these states by by pretty significant margins mm. and I, wisconsin hasn't voted for a republican since reagan but um you know just we're talking like double digit swings uh in 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 some of these states in some, some of these areas but you think about it and so, one, it, it kind of calls up into question the sort of overt racism question, right? Hmm. I mean, acknowledge the privilege point that, that you know, these classes can afford to take the chance on someone like Trump in a way that, you know, they're because they're not going to feel the brunt of... of well, they're not going to get deported. Well, they're not going to get deported. They're not going to live, you know, there's not rising rhetoric about about minorities that that affect that doesn't affect them right it's a, it's a privilege they can ignore it and mm -hmm. it's a shame that they're ignoring it and that doesn't but it just affect it's just the, the fact there was a list of stuff that happened the day after the the announcement and it, uh, targeting minorities i i saw it on twitter and i hope it's accurate but right. it looked no, no, pretty accurate it, it was scary stuff no it, and again we're not minimizing this at all and i just hope that's super clear like we're not minimizing we're not and we're not saying that these people that this choice is right but the reason why it, it matters and why it matters on a on a tech podcast is the, the sort of the fundamental premise of technology. Technology is inextricably intertwined with inequality. It mm. it, it just is like the the whole the whole point is to 
is, is to create, you know, these scalable processes that, mm. that massively increase efficiency mm-hmm. and dis- we celebrate disruption, disrupting all these mm-hmm. old world businesses. And, oh, yeah, we're going to make much smaller margins or more things. We're going to make it up in volume, right? We have these scalable things. We have these aggregators, you know, you know, talk about them and glorify them and how amazing it is. But those have like that has that has costs. And if you're industry is predicated on creating scalable companies you have an industry that is create that is predicated on creating jobs yes but displacing far more jobs along yes. the way and yes. and well a lot of the pushback now is in response to globalization which is a tech story in its own way mm-hmm. uh, you know absolutely you know things like this the 747 and and the you know international telecommunications and all those sorts of things are certainly are, are, it is a tech story. Going forward, this is only going. We as an industry are only going to make the situation worse. Yeah, and we, and we stand to benefit from it, and we are insulated in these little bubbles where it just looks like everything is getting better. And there are lots of high-minded people, and I don't say that in a pejorative way. Like people who actually like one of the things I love about being here is so many people, and they're not just saying it; they're genuinely motivated by making the world a better place. And that typically gets directed at folks who are really, really un like they they haven't had good fortune in their life. Like they're really, really struggling. But the to direct it only uh, at that level and to there is like Trump is calling them the forgotten people and he's right. And that's completely resonating. There is a, there is a group in the middle that will continue to what used to be the middle class will continue to suffer as the gains, like everything society is moving more and more towards extreme winners and extreme losers. And the, the jobs that used to happen in these industries that are being disrupted or being offshored, like those folks, like, you know, they used to make a good living. They worked hard. This was the American dream. They put a roof over people's heads and that's increasingly disappearing. Now, they're not struggling. Like you said, like that data makes it clear. They're not struggling to the point where they're under the poverty line, but it just doesn't feel like things are improving. Whereas you you come, you go to New York, you go to San Francisco, like it, there's this optimism, things are getting better, but it's easy to miss the fact that for a, a lot of folks in the United States, that's not the case. And I, I don't think these are mean-spirited people that are interested in hurting other people. They're just like, well, what about us? And it, I, the economics unleash some closed-mindedness that's not great, but I don't think that's where this starts. Yeah, I mean the well, the, the trouble, the reason why it matters for technology is you can sit there and say, well, "Yeah, I'm sorry that the white, you know, the the the, the white working class doesn't feel." That their children will have as good of life as they will, or or you know whatever the the factors may be. Mm. But look, you know they're actually making they're 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 still making good money. They still have houses. Everything's okay. And you know w- look at look at the truly poor. You know mm. whether it be the truly poor in China, or mm-hmm. the truly poor in 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 the U.S. or it might be like yeah. Let's let's raise them up and right and yeah. To to your to your point though, the the problem is that. Elections are a majority-driven process. Yeah. Well, I guess you know. Well, I guess in, even worse in the U.S., Hillary Clinton did win a majority of votes. But given the way the electoral college functions and the way that the quote-unquote elites, you know, 
cluster on the coast in a few states, like the electoral college only only magnifies this. And you have states like Wisconsin where all your blue voters, all your elite voters, are moving out. And I've you know I've seen Wisconsin just drift to to the right my whole life. I'm not I'm not surprised that this, this kind of finally happened. And that and th- so that means that the government, which has more impact on, has the potential to have massive impact on the tech industry, is the levers of power are increasingly held by the people left behind. And that's why whether you want to feel dismissive, if you're in tech, you have to care for pure self-preservation reasons. Yeah. I, you know what? It's, I, I, I would, I would go beyond just caring for self-preservation reasons. I think, Oh, of that- course. I'm, I'm just saying like, even if you want to make it an altruistic, you know, you know what, as on a global level, there are fewer poor people, there's greater income, all of which is true on a, on a you made this point on an absolute level the world is far better than it was but even if you want to make that argument and tell yourself it's okay uh you still have to deal with the fact that political power is not distributed according to absolute income and who generates the absolute most and on some level like i i i won't say that this is the outcome i would have picked but on some level i think that is a really important balance in terms of a properly functioning society because if things are on absolute levels getting better it is a important check to make sure that there isn't a vast swath of the population who feels like things are actually getting worse and i think that's what this vote ultimately represents like i still view this very much in economic terms in relative economic terms they don't feel like things are getting better but putting aside just just from the the pure self-preservation uh, argument like a strong middle part of the reason i think america has been so successful economically is there is a strong middle class to whom you can sell lots of things like that's actually really important and if if that doesn't continue to take place like where are you going to sell stuff and maybe the answer is kind of like where apple's going like maybe you start selling more and more things in china but i i feel like uh, underpinning a lot of historically America's economic success has just been the ability to sell things like cars, like uh, consumable goods. And there's just been this vast population that's that's been there to buy those products. And that's actually a critical underpinning factor of like a properly functioning economy. Yeah, th- for sure. I mean, th- th- I think that's, the, it's a, it's a very, it's a very valid point. And, you know, frankly, if you, <laughs> you can, you can certainly there's evidence that the the tech industry you know kind of treats these people with contempt i mean i think probably one of the killer examples here is like digital advertising right i mean it it's it's like we will harvest everything about you will will you know sell you down the sell you down the river why because people are too dumb to know or too dumb to care they don't care so there's an arbitrage opportunity mm. in, with their data and doing what we want with it etc 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 and i i don't think that people are dumb i i think that's a core that's a core principle part of my analysis i mean like you can look at companies why do they do something like presume intelligence and think why why do intelligent people do dumb things and i think that can be that can be useful in lots of ways. People are busy. People don't have time to understand how their 
how, how the internet works, how advertisements work. And, and why should they? Like, yeah. like it's not their job to like figure all that stuff out. But I think I, you know what? I think you're right. Like, I think there is a little bit of contempt for folks who are who are making up the bulk of like some of these services. And I again, I think that is partially reflected in what happened in the past couple of days. Yeah, and well, and then you see you have things like like tech companies just running through every possible loophole to minimize their taxes. Yes. And and it's like, is it legally okay? Well, yes, it's legal okay. Is it morally the thing that you ought to be doing? Like, it, it's certainly dubious. And it's just a little rich to get up on your soapbox and complain about norms being destroyed when, you know, like we talked about Wall Street, like doing lots of stuff that was legally okay and morally dubious. Like we as an industry are not, are not our, our hands are not clean. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I totally think that's fair. I, there is a part of this, though, which um, <laughs> uh, when uh, Trump came out and talked about not paying taxes as being smart, like all the stuff around his tax returns and people's focus around it, and it became clear that he was n- not paying a lot of tax. Um, it, it, <laughs> it, it, the, the, I, there's some parallel here around like, yes, it, there are certainly tech companies that have minimized tax, but in and of itself, that is not the, that is not a driving factor for how people are thinking about it because the candidate for whom a lot of them voted did exactly the same oh, thing. No, in no, their- I, I'm not saying that's why people are mad. I, my my mm. point is that like, I, 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 I'm a little disappointed, I guess not, not, not unsurprised, but at the, the haste to to basically re-emphasize this divide that we are good people and they are bad people mm. and that's mm-hmm. and so much of the reaction analysis has boiled down to that and again the effects i think are are it's an understandable point of view like there are i think are bad things that are going to happen or bad things that have happened to your point about allowing this sort of rhetoric and this sort of point of view and legitimizing it mm. and creating, you know, to use the term a permission structure for, you know, racist <laughs> appeals or, or, you know, demonstrations of extreme mis- misogyny. Yes. And there's the whole privilege point w- about you can afford to have Trump because you're not a minority or you're not, so, you're not an immigrant or, you know, all, all those things are totally true and totally legitimate. But we, I think we are doing ourselves a disservice if we, if, if we blame everything on that and don't consider like how, how could this happen and what are the implications going forward? Not just under Trump presidency, but we, when we've been talking on this podcast, if it's a point that you've made repeatedly that, you know, revolution will happen and this is kind of a revolution and and it it happened it it could be worse it it could it definitely could be worse i mean it's been again it's been channeled through the ballot box and i uh there are again i'm living in my little bubble i'm seeing all these petitions arise on facebook around like we want the electoral college folks to not vote for trump and it's like guys like yeah, the system isn't perfect. Yes, he didn't get a majority, but like that's the system we were playing in. Those were the set of rules. They were agreed on by everybody before we went in. 
and one side won and one side lost. And you need to respect that and you need to move forward with it. And to try to deny this outcome, given that's the way that so many people are feeling, is going to unleash a wave of all kinds of nasty things, much worse than what we're seeing right now. Much well, worse. If it was denied, for sure. But but just in general, like this has to be a wake up call. It just it just mm. has to be. And again, I'm not delegitimizing the 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 terrible things by any means. And I know we're two white males that that you know don't have to deal with this. I I understand and I acknowledge that. But to delegitimize the half the country that voted this way mm. is to avoid self-recrimination is to pat oneself on the back and say, it wasn't my fault. And that I don't think that's right. And I don't think it's right for us in this industry in particular, we have an industry that is predicated on inequality. It That's just the fact of the matter. And yes, most of Silicon Valley is liberal and votes for Democrats and wants redistribution, et cetera, et cetera. But what, what's, what about the stuff we actually do? What about the work we actually do? What about the, the sort of companies we try to build? How many of them are predicated on actually alleviating some of these problems? No, we just want the government to take care of it. It's. It doesn't feel good enough, does it? You, you know, I, I. I'm glad this. I. I it, it's. It's really. It, this is challenging for me because, uh, I, like on a pragmatic, from a pragmatic perspective, and I see what this candidate represents in a number of fields, and it scares me a lot. It scares me from the perspective of minorities. It scares me from the perspective of you being one of my best friends living in a flashpoint in the world where China might completely feel emboldened or that could result in in people pressing big red buttons and missiles starting to fly all over the place. And like that's super scary. It 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 scares me from the perspective of the planet and global warming. Like there are lots of things that are irreversible that could be irreversible that really scare me. But at the same time, intellectually, I come back to something that you talked about at the conclusion of Brexit, which is I'm glad this happened because a wake up call was required. And this is going to create a, this is going to make people's eyes open to something that's really important. That's, that's, been possible for them to ignore for a really long time. And the medicine's going to be pretty bitter because of some of these other things that the candidate stands for and what that might mean over the next four years. But this was necessary because it's not just enough to focus on building the best companies and expecting the government to take care of it and and focusing on the folks that are really, really suffering. Like it needs to be like for society to work, you need to be thinking about all stratas of it and making sure everyone has opportunity and not feeling like they're being left out. And right now, half the country that voted in the United States feels like it's been left out. Yeah, I'm going to bail you out. I don't think you're glad this happened. I know you're. I'm, you were I'm ta- not. I, I, I know you're talking conceptually, about intellectually. I'm glad. Like. You, you, yeah. Well, the, the analogy. Please, the, I, yeah. I interrupted you bailing me out. <laughs> the the analogy I would make is you and I have been talking about this for a long time. Lots of people talk about this for a long time. That something like this was going to happen unless the very real problems of inequality were addressed. Hmm. And again, it's not just inequality on absolute terms. It's inequality in opportunity. It's inequality in in the sense of there being a future. It's inequality hmm. in, right. in in dignity and. But it's like it's like a company that everything seems to be going well, 
and the roots of their demise are already out there and can be seen. And you try to talk about, say, the, the, you know, they need to set up a new division. They need to, or they need to do something differently, or they need to be aware that if the trends continue as they are in five to ten years, they're going to be in serious trouble. But no company ever does it, right? No one ever actually changes. The companies that fundamentally change themselves usually have to go through a near-death experience, mm. and where they have no choice but to change. And uh, unfortunately, it it kind of feels like that's where we are, except yeah. that. And again, it's I get it's the first week. It's very raw. It's scary. It is, and I feel it personally. But I mean, we we need to take this opportunity to rethink rethink a lot of things. I I agree. I um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I'm I'm I agree, but I was reticent because, like you were setting, uh, you were setting Donald Trump up to be called a disruptor by the way you were describing the uh, scenario. Well, like, you know it, what's interesting though is if you talk about the structural things. I, I wrote something. I wrote about Trump way back in March, and which is hmm. called "The Voters Decide," and the concept was the you know the the whole reason why people didn't think Trump would succeed was because they're, the the party decides that the party controls the nomination process and they no longer control it in smoke filled rooms like they used mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. but they control all the apparatus and the money that is necessary to be a viable viable candidate the problem is all the apparatus and money and ad sales mm-hmm. and and all that sort of stuff was intertwined with the media being the gatekeeper for information mm-hmm. and that took money to, to, to buy advertising. It took money and it took, you know, relationships with editorial boards and, and getting coverage and all those sorts of things. And the issue is not that the media is all powerful and thus made Trump. It's that the media is powerless. The media has been destroyed from a, from a, gatekeeper perspective and so you ended up in a situation like an aggregation sort of situation where the media is just one of many suppliers and donald trump with his celebrity could at the beginning go around the media and as he gained followers people paying attention to him to use sort of aggregation theory as he got users the suppliers modulated, modularized themselves and lined up behind him. And so they started covering him because they got more views and they were dependent on, uh, they became dependent on him. Well, just like Hollywood studios are dependent on Netflix, even though they're killing him. Like, I mean, it's, it's maybe a a tad bit of a stretch, but I don't think too much of one is that the media has been so weakened. That meant the party was weakened and and it, it like there are structural things that have happened to, to make this, this possible. And all these structural things, you can see all these things. Like, why is there, why we talked about the fake news stuff why, and we talked about there's almost like a, a, the the internet generally allows this sort of new sense of tribalism mm. and that to me is one of the most terrifying things about the internet yeah i i would agree with that i guess what surprised me about this when you start to look at uh, Trump as a phenomenon through this lens is that it's it's if you draw the comparison between the traditional CPG type uh, the traditional CPG type view of the world where there are there's limited shelf space so you kind of want to create a product that appeals not to everybody but to a large swath of the population 
And so you have a series of products that tend to be very popular. They don't deviate too far from the mean. And what the internet has done is it's created infinite shelf space. So it pays to go down into deep niches and uh, you can use CPG or even podcasts. Like we couldn't have done this in the old world of FM radio because there wouldn't be enough people in one geography to support it. But when you look at the uh, an audience of the globe, like suddenly, yeah, like there's a, there's a decent sized niche of people who want to listen to what we have to say. And I kind of assumed that Trump was like that as well, that he was a when you start when you start uh, end end what's it called end running the media like circling around it and uh, you you are a bit of a niche and you can get a certain amount of popularity, but it's very hard to take that. Uh, it's very hard to take that from like a niche candidate that appeals to kind of like a fringe, which works very well on the internet into the mainstream. And what's been so impressive is his ability to go from from someone who seemed like they were on the fringes to someone who now. T- 25% of the American voting population voted for, which was the most of any candidate. Like, that still surprises me. Yeah, well, I mean, it, well, there's a few things going on here. I mean, just to get, get into the, the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, there's an aspect of uh, the biggest factor here is partisanship. Like, mm. people vote for their yes. team. And yeah. once he was That's the Republican true. candidate, you know, the a lot of the party wind up wind up behind him. And actually, mm-hmm. a greater percentage of Republicans voted for Trump than Democrats voted for Clinton. Mm. Uh, so that that's a that's a big part of it. But what what did they say? De- uh, uh, Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line. <laughs> that's yeah. It's it's not 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 far from the truth. So that, that that's certainly an aspect of it. But there's this aspect where you 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 could see Trump get that sort of virtuous cycle. He started out with his core audience, and that drew more attention. And you could use that attention to draw in more people, and 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 his and people talk about the the media coverage and how he got so much free media, which is absolutely true, and that that played a role. But it played a role. It was like a second order effect. The first order effect was that Trump could even be viable in the first place. Mm. And and to me, that's really about the breakdown of the media and relatedly the breakdown of the parties. And. and yeah, I mean, it's 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 obviously an extreme example, and he had the benefit of being a celebrity. But yeah, it's it, it's certainly. And you you go back. Obama was an outsider candidate. I mean, this is the other mm-hmm. thing. Obama, you know, oh, I was going to make this point before. I I forgot to, but we talked about this big swing in these states that supported Obama. He was an outsider. If you look at it, we've kind of had two straight outsider presidents that that came from outside the party establishment that were not the preferred choice. I'm not obviously I'm not saying Obama and Trump are the same at all, but but it was the same. There was at least some sort of dynamic of looking for something different. Yeah, I, and the the fact that something different was even possible, and yeah, I, I think people talk about the fact that Obama leveraged the internet was one of the first politicians to really do so to reach people, and uh, if there was any doubt about it in the last. Uh, the the presidential election that brought him to power it's absolutely been laid to rest the way that um that trump has gone directly to, to folks um using the internet using that twitter account like it's it's just it's it's something that couldn't have happened 20 years ago i don't think yeah i mean and i don't know i, I kind of want to dwell on this on this tribalism point because it, it's one of the biggest fears i have about our society going forward. And it's a fear I, ha- I had well before 
Trump announced he was running for president. Mm-hmm. Like it's something I've been concerned about for a very long time. And you, you know, Facebook mm-hmm. says we want to connect people, blah, blah, blah. The the effect of that is to the internet generally, but I think it probably happens most powerfully on Facebook, is to connect with people that you identify with and that people who believe the same things you do and say the, mm-hmm. th- say the same things. And again, this isn't a partisan explanation. This isn't taking, oh, Trump voters all glom together. We do the same thing. Like, it, like we, I can live in Taiwan and feel completely connected and fully a part of the, the scene because why? I'm on Twitter and I'm, you know, joking back and forth with 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 people in tech and people in journalism and you know like i feel a part of that tribe and that that makes living in taiwan a far more uh, tolerable sounds too negative but a far easier and rewarding thing than it would be if if that wasn't if that wasn't the case right but you have this you it just you have this mismatch where virtually we can organize ourselves with tremendous ease into tribes but we still have to live together in in the actual in the actual world, and I I worry about that that disconnect. Well, it's it's the conflating of attention. It used to be that attention you would spend your time, and and the worlds were a little bit more siloed in the past. Like you would when you spent time with your friends, you would spend time with your friends. And when you spent time reading about the news, you would be spending time reading about the news and it would be in like one of the two newspapers. And now it's it's all kind of mashed together. It's all competing for attention. And yeah, there's still spending time physically with friends. But a lot of the ways that we interact with our friends right now are digitally. And, and like one of the main places that that happens is Facebook. And these guys... They are incented to keep you there and they know that if you see things that you like or you see things that make your blood boil, you're more likely to stay there. And if you dig deep enough into the settings, you can find a place where they have actually categorized every individual user according to their political beliefs. Like there's an algorithm that's done that. And if you ask the company to report it, it will tell you what your what it thinks your political views are and it will show you that kind of information. And it's it's really scary. It's it's really scary to not be exposed to folks or ideas that aren't aren't popular in your own circle. Well, it's really it's really profitable. I mean, it's, that's there's, the problem, right? There's there's this brilliant tweet from uh, Kim I Cutler. Uh, I'm going to quote it: "The best way to have the best. Oh, sorry, I have to use the the proper tone because this is a question. The best way to have the stickiest and most lucrative product be a systematic tool for confirmation bias." Yeah. Right. It's it's I, I've been toying around with this idea and I, I haven't quite hatched it yet, but there was a business historian at Harvard Business School by the name of Jeff Jones that talked about this idea that the that one very good measure of a society's health is how it it, how it channels entrepreneurial activity and that the healthiest societies channel entrepreneurial activity in a productive way that benefits society and and prevents people or strongly discourages them from uh, being entrepreneurial in unproductive ways. So productive being like creating a mousetrap that everybody loves, unproductive and putting aside political views, but just go with me, like uh, selling drugs that are extremely dangerous to people. Like let's use those 
those as like kind of straw men for like the idea behind it. And one of the things I've been thinking about, it's very easy to apply this to places that have failed states like Somalia or Mogadishu, where your best bet is to jump on a dinghy and go raid a container ship. Like that's a failed state. That's unproductive entrepreneurialism. But one of this, one of the ideas that I've been playing with is, and it's not entirely formed, so bear with me, is this notion that actually in the United States, there are lots of instances where there are things that appear to be productive entrepreneurship, uh, but actually aren't. And like one example I would give would be big food and the sugar industry where there's a need for people to eat, but there's also a realization that we have these... um, evolutionary traits where we have a strong bias towards eating things like sugar and so big food feeds us lots of sugar and lots of people just eat it up even though it's 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 very profitable but it's not necessarily good for society and i feel like there's some version of this going on with facebook right now where it's very profitable to feed people the the news equivalent of lots of sugar even though it's not good for them and it's not good for society in general but it's it's unrealistic given the profit motive for them not to well i i mean i i totally agree i don't i don't think that i mean i think there's some responsibility to perhaps look at this and they've started to make noises that they will but i i think you're entirely right like you're inside these organizations and there is a profit motive and you will find a way to be profitable, whether that's sugar. And like there are there are instances of food like where there might have been research that was buried or research that was created that's that's like a little on the wrong side of history. And I'm not claiming that Facebook's done anything like this. But I think part of the role of a regulator or a policymaker is to keep the gap between what's profitable and what's productive for society. And there's judgment involved in that to keep that gap as narrow as possible and i feel like in this election what happened with the the new stuff in facebook that gap got really really big well facebook has totally buried it so there was uh i i wrote about this last last spring about you know the the filter bubble idea without forgetting about that the actual there actually someone actually written a book about filter bubbles or, or an article mm. uh i can't recall the name i apologize but so facebook uh it was a big thing it was a few years ago and so Facebook did this study that was published in Science Magazine that was that exonerated them from filter bubbles, mm-hmm. and they and and actually when this became an issue again over the summer, uh, Zuckerberg cited this study again, saying, "Oh, you know that's not true. We we studied this and et cetera, et cetera." The problem is that th- there was tons of problems with the study. It was torn apart by like any anyone who's done any of these sorts of studies. Like they're like. They used a non-representative sample. Uh, they were Facebook users using a proprietary data set that, that, that wasn't checked anywhere at all. Uh, the actual result of the study was that the algorithm actually did change the composition of news. Uh, oh. and But Facebook said, oh, because it was smaller than some other variable, it actually was, it wasn't. So the study actually did confirm it, even though it was using a bad sample. It was like hmm. super ideological reader. It wasn't people in general. And anyhow, there was, the whole point is there was tons of problems with it, which Facebook has never acknowledged, and that remains their defense that this doesn't happen. So and there actually is more of a parallel than you think about these companies that have, quote-unquote, research justifying their behavior when a smidgen of common sense both suggest that behavior is bad and a close examination of the methodology of the study suggests that they, they're not saying exactly what they think they are. Right. And I, so that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. And I, I think this is the job of uh, a strong 
regulator and strong policymakers to like make sure that that gap is as small as possible. And I feel like in the instance of what happened with sugar, like there was a big failure. Um, and I, 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 the regulation in government can't be the answer to to everything, particularly when it involves information that that, that people see. I mean, the, I guess the, I offered up the profit motive as a thing, but this is where this is what I mean about norms. Like this is what I mean about like you know people Wall Street or tech companies or anyone doing stuff that's legally okay but morally dubious about harvesting people's information and selling it to the highest bidder. Sure. The, like there's a there's a and unfortunately I don't have a satisfactory answer to this either, but there's a there's a breakdown in morality almost. I mean, but that I think that's exactly the point. I, I think that what's I think what we're seeing in in technology is all these things play out to. Uh, I mean, logical extension almost underplays it to to an extreme. And one of the extremes that 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 I think we're we're seeing is that. A lot of the way that the, a lot of the ways that these organizations are playing, like, are behaving and the people inside of them are behaving is that the profit motive, like, the profit motive is the priority to the point where all the other things are discounted. And, right, right. And it's, and it's, it's accelerated by the structure of tech. I'm giving away what right. I was going to write about next week, but like, you think about what, how venture capital works. Like, the, you, there is, there is no room for, taking care of workers along the way right there's room for creating them into modular assets that mm -hmm. can be gotten for the cheapest price possible like there's we we have major structural problems if you open up your thinking beyond to to the impact on society that we we have structural problems it's something that that i need to and will grapple with and i think we as an industry need to need to grapple with and I don't. I'm not ready to just say the government needs to come in and fix it. I think maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's the answer. But I think we this is something that we really need to figure out. Yeah, I mean, and here's the funny thing, though. I think that if this if this extreme keeps playing out, I'm I I think the the the, the problem with the alternative is a it's not working but b it relies on good faith and some of the time you're going to have good faith actors but increasingly they're going to be competing with folks who aren't good faith actors and it's going to give them an advantage i i this is going a little bit contrary to what we said earlier and i realize that it's not uh, it's it, there's a feasibility element to it. So you, your pushback around Facebook and information, I think, is entirely fair. Like actually regulating that would be extremely difficult beyond making it more transparent. Do you want Trump to be the one regulating it? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's also it. That's why we have limits on government. And it's also an excellent it's an excellent argument against what I'm about to propose. But I'm still going to propose it that conceptually, <laughs> this idea is that a regulator should set the boundaries and and the and the direction in which you want these organizations to operate in and then they operate in it and the, the way i've always thought about it is is capitalism is like water it doesn't it obeys certain laws of gravity but it really just wants to roll downhill and the role of the regulator is to make is to harness that is where it's appropriate put in dams put in hydro hydro dams to generate electricity from it to 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 put in levees to make sure it goes around people's houses because if you don't have regulation that water is just going to run straight downhill and i feel like in the in a lot of different instances uh 
that's exactly what's been happen been happening like and including the 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 organizations influencing the regulation in the first place to make it more profitable and i think that's one of the things that trump ran on that that the game is rigged and these companies have unfair access to washington and that's who dc folks in dc listen to as opposed to the 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 people that are on main street and hillary clinton was perceived by a lot of these people to represent that, that she was too close to Wall Street, that she gave those speeches to Goldman Sachs that she wouldn't, that she wouldn't release. And like, that's what people have been railing against. Yeah. And, and again, because uh, I know I, I, it doesn't matter that, that Trump is just as corrupt and rich and was mm. in a gold, gold plated room or whatever. Like, it, it, again, it, it's that's, that's comparing feature lists. Mm-hmm. Like, and it doesn't matter that Clinton's policies would, would, almost certainly be better for for trump voters than than trump's policies politics is like every other aspect of life it's about how people it's it's about the full experience it's about how people feel it's about what 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 they subscribe to and as and to fall back on a point by point refutation is a fantastic way to lose elections frankly yeah and it's it's probably what just happened right i well i think so i mean i i, I i'm not going to debate you too much on your on on your solution in part because i don't necessarily disagree from a theoretical perspective i disagree you know getting to practical will be hard and i think you know frankly we have we we, we are going to have a lot of time to uh, to figure out what what there are I, I if we accomplish anything in this podcast and i i wrote about this week in the daily update too it's don't take the easy way out. I, I would uh, just encourage everyone, don't take the easy way out to this. Uh-huh. Don't say, damn it, half the country is racist and sexist. That sucks. Uh, are the, it, Yes, the, that exists. But to say that's all that it is, is to absolve oneself of all responsibility, of all introspection, and to invite more of the same. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, if if there isn't soul searching that is done, and not just not not just the 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 nice words soul searching and the contrition that this wasn't right and this was the fluke. Like, if there isn't genuine soul searching done and genuine empathy applied to what people must be going through to feel like this then it's going to get put on repeat because these forces aren't going to go away. And I, I frankly feel that the way that uh, the way that he might approach, the president-elect might approach dealing with them might actually make some of these things worse. So, oh, for, uh, for sure. I mean, his actual, right? his actual policy is like huge tax cuts for the rich. I mean, <laughs> it, it, and – you know things like global warming and all this stuff is going to impact people on the margins much more than like all all us rich people, elite people are going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, and 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 again though, but the, the answer is, is is like oh well, raise raise taxes and and you know do a basic income. Everyone, I mean, I I support a basic income. I, I've written about it, but how do we create a society where people can find meaning at scale? Yes, and. Yes, and have and have hope at scale, and and to, it's so tempting, and everyone in in tech especially, it's so tempting to just go back to the data, to look at the numbers, to go to the mm-hmm. spreadsheet in business, you know, like with spreadsheet decision making, mm-hmm. and that's not how people live life. That's not how the great companies that we talk about, you know, like like an Apple doesn't sell based on spreadsheets, it doesn't sell based on feature lists. It sells based on how it makes people feel to buy their products and to use their products. And uh, until 
we're we're not going to make progress politically until we internalize that and 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 stop having these these tests of righteousness to win an election you need 51% of the vote or i mean it, you know relatively yeah. speaking you need a majority and that means you're going to have to partner with people who might have some views you don't completely agree with you can't be a a martyr to absolutism you just can't you can't be a fundamentalist you, fundamentalism does not does not produce change figuring out what are what actually matters what are the priorities and your priority could be ending structural racism and ending and ending misogyny and ending sexism and that's perfectly and that's good i i completely support that but that means you might have to give up some other part of your platform because you have to get 50, you have to get 51% and to to retreat into your shell to retreat into your bubble and to say they're bad people it it's that's change is never going to happen it's it's not just maybe giving up part of your platform it's it's actually understanding the other side as well and understanding what they care about and and reaching some point where it's not just an easy option it's like it's coming from a genuine place of empathy and i you mentioned basic income and i i feel that i've been guilty of just of grasping for the easy intellectual answers sometimes around this and you know it it was something that the Dalai Lama wrote in the New York Times maybe uh 3 or 4 days before the election which is uh, it 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 basically said something it the, the gist of it was it's not just a, like w- Meaning is so important. Like the, the title of it was Behind Our Anxiety, The Fear of Being Unneeded. And I feel like that there are lots of folks like, like to just give somebody $5,000 a year or $10,000 a year or whatever it's going to be and just say, here you go. Like now you're okay. Now I don't have to worry about you is, is the easy answer that's not going to solve the problem. Like your point are going to make, make parts of it worse. Right. It's, it's, that's not, that's not giving people dignity or understanding or giving them purpose in their life. Um, like, like what we need to solve for is like the deeper and more complicated place where people are coming from, which is like they're losing hope and just giving them a handout, a bigger handout and a less complicated handout. Maybe that's part of the solution, but to think that that's where we stop, like I, I think that would be a grave mistake. And, and again, like this isn't to excuse anything, and and you know there's a undercurrent here of you know whites losing their majority status in the U.S. and that that is you you can describe it as as racism. You can describe it as the natural backlash of any group that's losing power it is a something that humans are inherently tribalistic and you, so you can see all the concern about how the internet perhaps enables tribalism magnifies this it, again this is why i say even if you 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 can't bring yourself to to empathize just realize it it matters like the, the this election will dramatically impact are the tech industry will dramatically impact America will dramatically impact the world. Yeah. And, and again, uh, you, yes, you pushed back on the self-interest thing, but I'll, I'll embrace it, figure out what we do because we're all in this together. Yeah. And, and uh, to retreat and to not change anything is to, yeah, just to, to in, continue down a path that I think all of us are pretty darn concerned about. Right. And I, I feel that even the people that 
that voted for Trump uh, recognize, and you see it in the exit poll data, that they that he's he's not really qualified to do the job, but they are that frustrated with the way that things have played out in DC. Uh, and in general, just like the way that it that 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 frustrated about the direction they feel that the country has gone in the last ten years, that they're willing to vote for someone who they recognize isn't really qualified, but they think he's going to put a bomb in the system, and they they're going to get changed, but there are going to be ramifications for putting a bomb in the system. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, and. Again, like there are there are people that voted for Trump for racist or sexist reasons. I, I, I just I, maybe, and I, I've grown up in like I said, I, I grew up I grew up in this, and there there are people that that are like that. It's true, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of people where they they actually really dislike Trump, and they dislike. And they're abhorred by his comments, like his comment about, about about women that was that was that was caught in recording. But to them, it was they were willing to overlook that for the reasons you just said. And again, it doesn't make that overlooking okay. It doesn't. But it's kind of like how we overlooked some of Clinton's flaws because the alternative seems so much worse. And if there is fifty percent of the population that thinks the alternative to Trump is so much worse. That's we have to figure out why that is and what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Well, um, hopefully, we didn't lose too many listeners on, well, along the way. Uh, well, <laughs> if they were going to unplug, you gave them plenty of fair warning right at the start that we were getting into politics. So, <laughs> yeah, and this is here's the thing politics is messy by definition trying to understand and get into why people vote for Trump you are you have to excuse some things along the way as as we've kind of tried to delicately dance around and if you want to sit there and say it's unacceptable you are it's you're justified in doing that but the nature of politics is it it, it is messy because you're dealing with humans and you're building coalitions and you're getting groups of people and to be to be of to be f- f- fundamentalist about it is to feel very self-satisfied all the way into irrelevance. Yeah. And I don't think and I don't think that's a productive that's a productive route. I mean it's not. Like if 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 the last few days have proved anything it's like just just being ignorant of this or or like hoping it will go away is not going to be an effective strategy. Yeah. Anyhow, there's going to be plenty of, of recriminations and this stuff. Yep. And, you know, we might get some of them now, too. <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, we appreciate we appreciate folks listening. I'm sure we'll be back to tech stuff. But, you know, w- w- the fact is we have been talking about this throughout the run of Exponent. We've been talking about the impact of inequality, the impact of and and how it, it, there's going to there's going to be a backlash. Well, guess what? The backlash, the backlash has, has arrived. It sure did. With a really bad hairstyle. Ugh. <laughs> and small hands. <laughs> we, we, I think Sorry. we need to end this. We need to end this yeah, episode. probably. Our, th- I mean, I, I, yeah. <laughs> Our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring uh, this episode as they sponsor every episode of, of Exponent. And I will, I will talk to you next week. <laughs> Sounds good, mate. Have a safe trip home. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. S- see ya.